the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. I'm so glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program (laughs) where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about. We talk about God. We talk about the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about worldviews, and we talk about world religions. And, of course, we do it from a decidedly, well, I'm going to use the term biblical perspective. And by biblical perspective, let's put my cards on the table. I am a Bible-believing evangelical Christian. And if you're wondering what that is, you can call me at 303-873-1935 and ask me any and all of those things as far as definitions are concerned. 303-873-1935, that's the number if you want to join me on the program. And um, there's a lot going on in the news, and I was going to talk a little bit about a group of parents in, in well, parents in Indiana who have appealed their uh, court case to the Supreme Court. And in this incredible story that's being posted at christianheadlines.com, they're basically, well, Michael Faust has, has posted the article at ChristianHeadlines.com. He's a ChristianHeadlines.com contributor. And the headline, of course, at Christian Headlines is Christian Parents Who Lost Custody of Child Over Gender Disagreement Appeals to the Supreme Court. Well, so this is three years after the state of Indiana has removed or removed a child from the home of two Christian parents over a disagreement about gender identity. And the family's asking the United States Supreme Court to intervene and make clear that the government's action was unconstitutional. Now, what's interesting, again, about that is the Bill of Rights says the government can't do a lot of things. So we're wondering, well, can the government remove your child simply because you do not accept their preferred pronouns. Now, it would set a national precedent. The contentious case involves a Christian couple, Mary and Jeremy Cox, according to the article at ChristianHeadlines.com. And so the teen son began identifying as a girl in 2019 using a female name and female pronouns, the Cox, that's C-O-X-E-S, explained to him their belief that God created human beings, male and female, and that 
being male or female are traits that are immutable, according to court documents. Nevertheless, they agreed to begin calling him a compromise nickname, A. And during that time, the family, Mr. and Mrs. Mary and Jeremy Cox, also provided their son therapeutic care for what they believed was mental health issues and got him help for an eating disorder. And then in 2021, the state of Indiana began investigating the couple following a complaint. Eventually, he was removed and placed in a home that would pre that would affirm his preferred identity. So think about this. Somebody called in a complaint. I'm going to guess that Child Protective Services removed the child from the home, placed him in a home with, uh, who, uh, with a group of people who would be willing to go along with the charade. According to the Beckett Legal Fund, or the Beckett Legal Group, who are representing the parents, they said that following an investigation, the state acknowledged, I'm quoting, any accusations of abuse and neglect were unsubstantiated, but nevertheless said the disagreement over gender identity was reason enough to keep him away from his parents. Pause and think about that. In other words, does a refusal to recognize someone who's mentally and emotionally disturbed constitute abuse and neglect. So the Coxes are asking the United States Supreme Court to step in, to rule against the state, affirm the rights of parents to raise their children. The teen's eating disorder became worse after he was removed from their home according to the legal group Beckett, and that's what they entered into uh, evidence in their legal briefs. Now, the teen is now an adult. And Lori Windham, who's the vice president and senior counsel at Beckett, said, quote, if this can happen in Indiana, it can happen anywhere. Lori Windham said, quote, Tearing a child away from loving parents because of their religious beliefs, which are shared by millions of Americans, is an outrage to the law, parental rights, basic human decency. If the Supreme Court doesn't take this case, how many times will this happen to other families? Now, again, this reminds me of what I was reading about the American Worldview Inventory for 2024, which has just been released by George Barna. I talked a little bit about that. Dr. George Barna basically wrote me a note. He wrote it to a number of different people. So I might as well say, well, it's addressed to me. It says, Dear Gino. My new national research shows that our nation is deeply fragmented. In fact, we're divided to the point where I believe Americans have lost the capacity to develop a united perspective on who America is and how we will move forward together. Now, 
he points out that um, this fragmentation isn't going to be solved by a political majority over a political minority, but that the real solution is going to take place in spiritual renewal. Now, I'm, I, I, I wish I could have him on the air because I would like to ask him what he means by spiritual renewal. Does he mean that America transitions to the belief that maybe the God of the Bible is true and that that what the Bible says about the human condition and the solution to the human condition is true. What he winds up saying, and well, he winds up asking the question, how can we bridge these growing divisions in our nation? And what do we as a nation, uh, and, and what, what does this mean? What we need, he says, is a spiritual awakening, not a political majority to restore national unity. I'm hoping to be able to ask um, my friend William Federer, who I plan to have in just the next segment. So, no, well, not in the next segment, the segment after that. But, again, if you want to join me on the program in this segment, you can call 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935, according to the Bill of Rights, there's several things that the government shouldn't be able to do. I'll talk about that when we come back. This is Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back. This is Gino Geraci. The number is 303-873-1935. I was talking about a headline story at ChristianHeadlines.com that was posted by Michael Faust about Christian parents who lost custody of a child over a dissert Agreement over a gender disagreement have, are uh, attempting to appeal to the Supreme Court. Whether the Supreme Court has agreed to hear the case, I am not certain of. The number is 303-873-1935. But basically three years after the state of Indiana removed the child from the home, the family asked the United States Supreme Court to intervene and make it clear that the government's action was unconstitutional. And it involves a Christian couple, Mary and Jeremy Cox, whose teen son began to identify as a girl in 2019 and assumed a female name and female pronouns. And according to the state of Indiana, they countered in court that the teen wasn't really removed for the gender uh, identity issue, but over the eating disorder issue. And the Beckett, uh, Beckett group claims that that was just a cover for the central issue, which had to do with the gender identity issue. And they said, quote, this case poses a question of national importance because it's bound to reoccur absent the court's intervention. And Beckett argued in its petition to the Supreme Court, quote, as described above, the number of transgender youth are rising, matched by government willingness to remove gender dysphoric children from their parents' custody. And it's, it says, Indiana's tack, blame a comorbidity and dodge adjudication of parental fitness provides a playbook that any state can use to eviscerate bedrock constitutional protections. 
while guaranteeing that they remain insulated from review. The Beckett Group continued, quote, This case is especially apt for review since here, Indiana conceded and the trial court determined that petitioners were fit parents. Amid this fraught landscape with the lives um, um, I think he's coming on Friday. So, yeah. Um, sorry, I just had a quick. So, I'm quoting Beckett again. Amid this fraught landscape, with the lives of real children and families hanging in the balance, the court should grant petition and affirm the precedence on the right of parents to the custody of their children. So this reminded me of something, and that is, well, according to the Bill of Rights, what are the things that the government cannot do? Well, the government can't, cannot make you believe a religion. But is it a religion to believe in woke ideological social justice? The government can't keep you from practicing any religion you choose. In other words, if you embrace historical biblical Christianity, can you teach that to your children? According to the Bill of Rights, the government can't keep you from saying what you wish. What if I wish to say that men are men and women are women? The government can't stop you from publishing what you want. The government can't keep you from joining together peacefully with others to express your views. The government can't prevent you from complaining about what the government or others are doing to you. The government can't take away your right to own and keep guns. The government can't make you let soldiers live in your house unless the country comes under attack and then Congress specifically authorizes it. So pause, pause, pause. Pause and think about that. The government can't, can't, cannot make you let soldiers live in your house unless the country comes under attack. Can the government make you let illegal aliens live in your house. There are already government officials who are asking individuals to voluntarily allow illegal aliens to live with them. The government cannot come into your home unless it has legal permission from a judge. The government cannot hold you in jail for a major crime without the knowledge and approval of your fellow citizens. The government cannot try a person twice for the same crime. The government cannot make you incriminate yourself. The government cannot take away your life your liberty, your property without due process, without following the law. The government cannot take your private property from you for public use 
unless it pays to you what your property is worth. The government cannot hold you in jail for a long time without a trial if you're accused of having broken the law. The government cannot deny you a speedy trial with a jury of your fellow citizens. The government cannot keep secret from you those who will speak against you. The government cannot prevent you from having your personal attorney. The government cannot keep you from having other people help you defend yourself in a courtroom. The government cannot keep you from having a trial decided by your fellow citizens in civil disputes, and the fact-finding by the jury in those trials cannot be overturned by other courts. The government cannot make people pay an unfairly high amount of money for bail while they wait for a judge or a jury to hear their case. The government cannot punish you for a crime in a cruel and unusual way. And the government cannot limit your rights to just those that are listed in the Bill of Rights. And so, we are at an interesting place in our time where more and more people are asking and answering the question, well, what, do we, what, again, back to George Barna's point in the research that he's been doing on the deep fragmentation that is being experienced in the United States of America. He basically says that in his worldview inventory, as he's looking at what people actually believe, that people are deeply divided over the issue of whether or not there is truth or what constitutes the basis of truth or whether or not people deserve to be respected or whether or not there's the existence of something that you and I would call absolute moral truth. We're deeply divided even over the issue of whether or not it's moral or immoral to intentionally deceive other people. Interesting. 303, well, uh, when we come back, my friend Bill Federer should be on the line. I can't wait to talk to him. This is Gino Geraci, 303-873-1935. That's the number for when you join me on the air. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. We're still waiting on Bill Federer, but I, um, I'm hoping that he will call um, 303-873-1935 is the number if you want to join me on the air. And um, I was talking um, about George Barna's 
work that he's been doing. And I'm going to try to see if we can't get Bill Federer here in just a moment. But he, he was talking about um, a couple of things. How can we bridge the growing divisions in our nation? Um, so I'm going to text him and see if he can't come on the program. Oh, okay. We have Bill. Bill, I'm so glad you made it. Thank you. Thank you. I am um, calling you through my Mac computer. My daughter set me up so that oh, I can use wow. the microphone. Wow. How cool is that? Hey, you know what? <laughs> I was, um, you know, we were having a conversation about, uh, well, before we get into the conversation about George Barna, I just wanted to ask you real quick. I know you're coming to the Front Range. You're, you've got a number of different uh, events that are taking place, some private, some public. You're coming to Colorado. Tell us what you plan to do when you get here. Yeah, well, I am speaking at the uh, Weld County um, Republican event on um, Saturday the 24th. Is that, an, and, is that uh, open Nile, to the public? Uh, yes, yes. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, there's, um, uh, oh, let's see, the, the Kim Munson will be the master of ceremonies, uh, and then um, Nyla Kroll is the one that is organizing it. Uh, her number, if anybody wants to get information, is 970-690-7075. And, um, yeah, and then I'm also speaking at uh, a school on mm -hmm. um, Friday. And Friday. I'll pull up the, the uh, uh, name of it here. I um, remember it was the Baptist Front Range, you said? The, the Baptist Front Range right. School of, yeah. Front Range Baptist Academy. Okay. Uh, at 12.45. And then at Liberty Common School with Bob Schaefer. Friday at 2 p.m. And wow. so I'm looking forward to that. And then um, uh, lunch with pastors the next day. But uh, it's the Lincoln Day dinner at Weld County. And uh, I think it's Greeley, Colorado. But um, I'm sure that uh, Nyla Kroll is the one who can get the, the details of it or just look up Weld County Repub Lincoln Republican dinner. Great. And I know you're going to be at Calvary South Denver on Sunday. South Denver. Well, we always love having you at Calvary South Denver. And um, can you give us a little sneak peek of what you might be talking about? Messages that I've been giving lately is um, it's called Silence Equals Consent. And uh -huh. I go through history of how the most common form of government in world history is kings. And they're all top down. And then in the 1700s, or excuse me, 1500s, you have the Reformation. And then you have kings that didn't like that, and they would kill uh, percentages of their population. And so in uh, areas of Switzerland, you have John Calvin. And he said, we're subject to the men who rule over us, but subject only in the Lord. If they command anything against him, let us not pay the least regard to it. Sort of like Ephesians 6, children obey your parents. But what if there's a bad parent and tells the kid to kill the neighbor? Is the kid supposed to obey that? Well, no. And so uh, it's like Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from the Birmingham jail where he said, 
How can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? He says the answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. He says, how does one determine whether law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. Hmm. Anyway, this Calvinist concept of ruling ourselves without a king is called a covenant form of government. And the reformers developed this, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Congregationalists, even Quakers, and they look to the Bible. But what part of the Bible that first 400 years out of Egypt before King Saul? So it's called the Hebrew Republic. And in studying world history, it's a total anomaly. So you have Nimrods, Pharaohs, Caesars, Kaisers, Sultans, Tsars, but one nation stands out around 1400 BC. You have millions of Israelites come out of Egypt, and for 400 years, there's no king. And it works because every single citizen is taught the law. And they're personally accountable to God to follow the law. And it's called the Hebrew Republic. And so that's what the reformers looked to as the model. Uh, the king of England didn't like that. He liked the hierarchical form of church government. And so these people fled. They fled to America. They were going to go to Jamestown and submit to the king's government. But when they get blown off course to Massachusetts, it's stormy, it's winter, and the captain says, no more sailing, everyone off the boat. And they say, uh, we have a question. Who's going to be in charge? We were going to go to Jamestown and submit to the king's government. And there's no king. There's 102 of us in this boat. and Nobody's appointed by the king. They took their covenant church form of government and they made it their civil government. It was a polarity change in the flow of power on planet Earth. Set a top-down rule by kings. It's bottom-up rule by we. Just 102 of us. We're going to covenant ourselves together. And then that became the model for the other New England colonies. Uh, the King of England, Charles the, the First, turned up the heat, causing what's called the Great Puritan Migration, and 20,000 Puritans flood into Massachusetts, and you have this unique situation of pastors and their churches forming cities. Mm -hmm. uh, Roger Williams and his church founded Providence, Rhode Island, and the first Baptist church in America. Thomas Hooker and his church founded Hartford, Connecticut, and the first Congregationalist church in America. And so this is a greenhouse on planet Earth where you have the entire world is, um, is kings, uh, Muslim sultans, African chieftains, Russian czars, Indian maharajas, Chinese emperors. The whole world is kings. And here you have this little greenhouse in New England of pastors and churches forming cities. And they had one building called the Meeting House. That's where the pastor would teach the Bible. And that's where they would gather together and do their city business. The word synagogue means meeting house. That's where the rabbi would teach the law, and that's where they would gather together and do their city business. And uh, why build a separate building just to talk about a different topic? And it worked fine until the revolution starts, and the British send over a military governor, Thomas Gage. And he says democracy is too prevalent in America, and he outlaws meeting houses. And he says, you just obey government mandates. And we're like, no, nothing happens over here unless we give our consent to it. And he's like, no, you obey government mandates. And, he's, and we're like, no, nothing happens unless we give our consent to it. And he goes, no, you're a zombie, you're a robot, you do what you're told. If the government issues a mandate, you jump. And we're like, no, nothing happens unless we give our consent to it. Turned into a revolutionary war, and we win. Wow. We set up a government where it's we, the people, and we rule ourselves, bottom up. The word federal is Latin for covenant. Os Guinness said covenantal ideas were the lost cause in England, but they were the winning cause in New England. Hmm. Covenant-shaped constitutionalism. The American Constitution is a secularized form of covenant, 
a covenant lies behind constitution. So basically, you have the first 400 years out of Egypt before King Saul, this Hebrew Republic, and this was the model for the reformers that turned into their covenant form of government that they imported into New England that turned into our constitution. So our gonna, church government okay, hold basically on, turned into our civil government. And, um, and so that was really fascinating. And then I get into the 1700s, and if you want, I can get into that. Well, we, we'll do it at, at the at the break. I w- w- and thank you. For, Am I still with been, you? Yeah, you still are. We're we're going to come. Um, we're coming up on a Hello? break. Uh, yeah, c- can you hear me? Okay. Are we not getting through? Is he not hearing me, um, Jimbo? Well, I hear the music. Just make sure we're connected. Ronald Reagan said, "Government's first duty is to protect its people." not ruin their lives. <laughs> Bill Federer is coming to the front range. He's going to be at Calvary South Denver on Sunday. You don't want to miss him. He's wonderful. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's Gina Geraci. William J. Federer is coming to the front range. He's going to be doing a number of different events and including he's going to be at Calvary South Denver on Sunday. And we were talking a little bit about a sneak peek of of what he is going to be talking about. I wanted, uh, Bill, to give you the opportunity to sort of um, uh, finish your thought. And then I wanted to ask you a question uh, that George Barna raises in his release of the American Worldview Inventory. We were talking off the air that you had a, an opportunity to meet with uh, George Barna, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about his poll and a statement that he made. Yeah, well, I am actually a week from today going to be doing a TV special with him in Florida on the CTN, a Christian Television wow. Network. But um 1700s, you had Calvinists, well, the, the Calvinists believed that uh, God has a plan for your life, your marriage, your family, church, your government, and some took it the next step and said, God already knows who's going to be in heaven, so don't even bother preaching the gospel. And they began to draw back, and you had people like David Brainerd was expelled from Yale because he said his professor was as spiritual as a chair. And the Yale students were reprimanded because they went into New Haven and were presenting the gospel to strangers in pubs. And um, and so in the 1700s, you have the new lights. And these are pietists. And these believe that it's more than a plan. It's a personal experience with Jesus. And when you have this personal experience, you're going to withdraw from the world. Uh, the bars, the brothels, brothels, the lewd theater, government. It's like, wait, what was that last thing? Yeah, government is filled full of worldly people. If you're really Christian, you're not going to be involved. So the first 1600s, you have these Puritans that says, everybody get involved. We can rule ourselves without a king. 1700s, don't get involved. You want to be holy and not involved in worldly things like government. And in Germany, you had um, Martin Luther starts the Reformation because he had a personal revelation that just shall live by faith. Very personal to him. He was willing to stand up to the Pope and the Holy Roman Emperor and say, unless you can prove me wrong from Scripture, here I stand, so help me God. But some German princes want to break from Rome, and they say, this is my chance, kingdom of mine. I just decided you are all now Lutherans. And the people say, okay, we're Lutheran. What do we believe? And so for the people in the kingdom, it's not the same personal experience Martin Luther had. 
It's just a new state doctrine. So this revival movement starts called pietism. That said, being a Christian is more than doctrine, even if it's good doctrine. You have to have an experience with Jesus. When you do, you're going to withdraw from worldly things, including government. Turned into the German concept of the two kingdoms, kingdom of the world, kingdom of the government, the two don't touch. And four centuries of that teaching in Germany allowed Hitler to put Jews on train cars. And they're going right past the church. And the church's response was, well, we can't do anything because that's the government doing that. And, and we're the church. So, so let's just sing praise songs to Jesus louder. It's like, can anybody see there's something wrong here? right? Yeah. And so um, why can't it be both? Why can't we have it be a covenant form of government where we rule ourselves and um, a personal experience with Jesus? And And the idea is if, if it really is a personal experience, don't you want to have your kids live in a nation where they get a chance to have a personal experience with Jesus? Because if you don't get involved, what they're teaching the kids in schools is there is no God. And if there is a God, he's messed up. He's put in men and women's bodies, and you have to have operations to fix it. And if, if um, he's either confused or powerless or sadistic, and if that behavior is not sin— what? The sex outside of marriage, right? All these little books. Try all this kind of sex, any kind of sex. If sex outside of marriage is not sin, arguably there are no sins. And if there's no mm-hmm. sins, you don't need a savior to save you from your sin. So basically they're saying, Christians, be quiet while we teach an anti-Christian gospel to your kids. And, and so the idea so, is the most important yeah. thing is to bring people to Christ. But the second most important thing is to preserve the freedom to do the most important thing. Well, and that brings us to that head, and I know you're going to be doing this uh, television special with George Barna, and I can't wait to have him on. But And I so appreciate all the work that he does, but in his American Worldview inventory, he basically says we're deeply divided. No, no, that's no surprise. We are deeply divided, Americans across the board. And then he says, in fact, we're divided to the point where I believe Americans have lost the capacity to develop a united perspective on who America is and how we will move together. Now, you have sort of devoted your life pointing out that, and you've just given a long litany of how America started, developed a united perspective, and then on that subject, on who America is and how we move forward. What do you think of his comment, I believe Americans have lost the capacity to develop a united perspective on America, on who America is and how we get to move forward together? Yeah, well, we've lost acknowledging God. So Dwight Eisenhower, February 20th, 1955, said that um, recognition of the supreme being is the first, the most basic expression of Americanism. It's like we may differ on everything, but all of us agree there is a supreme being. Why is this important? Because you have rights from a creator rather than rights from a government. And this creator is not a respecter of person, so everybody's equal. If you get rid of this creator, where do your rights come from? Uh, the state, the, the social contract, the, the social compact, the, the mob, the wokeism, the, I, the group I identify with. Well, guess what? If the group gives you worth, the group can take away your worth. They can cancel you. They can kick you out. And if there is no creator that says everybody's equal, well, guess what? Some groups are more equal than others. And you turn into this class society and um, you basically, that's basically the way the whole world has been before Christianity came along this honor shame mm-hmm. culture and you have kings and you're honored if the king likes you and if the king shames you and kicks you out you're not america's founder said no you have a worth 
irregardless of kings, irregardless of any group that you identify with, you are made in the image of the creator, and he's not a respecter of persons. So, so can, can we get back to a unity? Um, I think if it yeah. does happen, it's probably going to be on the heels of a crisis. So p- pause and think about that, what you just said. If we can get back to unity, it will be on the heels of a crisis. Or, again, George Barna suggests spiritual renewal. Or, you know, we, we touched on, when you were talking about David Brainerd, that's the time of Jonathan Edwards. You had this great spiritual revival that preceded the American Revolution. You had what was called the Second Great Awakening. Some scholars suggest that without the Great Awakening, America, as we understand it, would never have even started. Do you, could, could you envision a Third Great Awakening? Well, there's there's been numerous ones since then. In 1857, there was a layman's prayer revival, you know, and where they had tens of thousands of people meeting in, in you know Chicago and New York. And um, but I do think it's ta- it's in times of crises that people turn to Christ. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how many of us, you know, in the listening audience, turn to Christ when everything's absolutely perfect in our life? Usually, there's some crisis, debt, right. discouragement, you know, divorce, depression. And we can't handle it. We look up and God's there and he rescues us. And (laughs) all the nation is is a bunch of individuals. And so we're living our lives. But if there is a crisis, financial crisis, healthcare crisis, you know, whatever kind of crisis, there are some that are going to harden their hearts and turn away from God. But there's others that are going to say, God, help me. And it's also in times of crisis that God raises up leaders. What are the stories we like the best? Gideon, Moses, David, you know, Deborah, Esther, there's, there's a crisis and God raises up little nobodies who are small in their own eyes, but big in faith and courage. So, well, so without look, God in the equation, it looks hopeless. But with God, he, he always seems to raise up people in times of, of need. We look forward to seeing you this weekend. Go to AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com. Look at uh, William J. Federer. There's a laundry list of books that he has written. As always, Bill, I look forward to hopefully spending a little time with you this weekend. Well, Gino, you're you're a genius. I, um, I'm just always impressed uh, of all the wisdom that you have, and it's an honor to be on your show. And looking forward to being there at uh, Calvary Chapel South Denver with John and, and Carolyn. We will see you. This is Gino Geraci. I'll be back in the next hour taking your calls, answering your questions. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Bill. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.